This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. I'm Arjun, welcoming you to this edition of the podcast. In this podcast, you will hear from leaders from all walks of life sharing their secrets. Today, my VIP guest is David Flannery. David is a true leader in the field of finance who always, and I emphasize on the word always, lived at the intersection of brilliant thinking and total integrity. David is an experienced financial executive, having served a total of nine years as CFO of two publicly held restaurant companies, Papa John's and Benihana. Of course, one of them I like little better because it's closer to my heart. He's currently a financial consultant, primarily in the restaurant industry. David is a big picture analytical guy. He's married to his lifetime sweetheart, Vicky, and both of them are owned, emphasized owned, by three amazing, awesome, smart Westies. Welcome, David. Thanks, Arjun. A pleasure to be talking with you. So, David, you know, of course, I got the chance to know you at Papa John's days, but your career has been bigger and broader than that. And looking at the success you've heard at, you know, started at Ernest Young, then Papa John's and Benihana's, what has been some of your biggest success? Like what drove the success? What would be some of the secrets behind the major Flannery success? I think the biggest success to me was the caliber of a team in the finance area that we built at Papa John's. You know, when I went to Papa John's, I first got there, there were about 400 restaurants and it was very much a regional company in the Midwest, Southeast part of the US. And when I left, there were over 4,000 restaurants all around the world. And we had for our organization, an incredible finance team. And I think that's one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of. And one of my biggest successes is helping to build and develop a world-class finance team in an organization that started out as a very small regional restaurant company and became one of the leading pizza companies, certainly in the world. Awesome. So there you heard it from David Flannery. The biggest success comes from the caliber of team members or team I built. So David, what's an incident that inspired you and how did it impact you? I'll tell you, one of the things that really inspired me And it it kind of led to the thought that, you know, never let a good problem go to waste because you can you can always learn things. And the incident was as Papa John's grew very quickly, we ended up having some quality issues and that was going to damage the brand long term. And I'll never forget John telling the operations community franchise and company-owned operators, you know, we've got a problem. And they didn't want to hear that. So he did a very, very secret shopper program where he actually took pictures of the pizzas as they were being prepared at the time. And he showed them to the operators at one of the operators conferences and said, look, guys, this isn't going to cut it. 
We are the quality brand. He had such a passion for quality. This isn't going to cut it. We've got to fix this. And we fixed it by developing a measurement program, a very rigorous measurement program. And the franchisees and the operators that were going to do best with that program, they actually asked to be measured more than the required amount of measurement. Every every store would have secret shopping and measurements done. The really good operators said, you know, I want more measurements. Give me more measurements. I want to see how my quality is coming along and if I'm upholding the standards. And that lesson really stuck with me that we had a major problem, but we didn't avoid the problem. We addressed it head on and came away with a very successful outcome. Yeah, that's brilliant. Like the three things I'm taking from there, David, is number one, acknowledging and bringing in front of everybody's face. And, you know, also being fortunate to work with John is he had an amazing, simple way, a human way of doing that. Yes. And there was no denial. And then putting measures and a path forward. But the thing that you said really hit home is the best wants to be measured more. Right. That's such an amazing KPI for finding out who is the best and who wants to move forward because that's the person who wants to further separate from failure and move forward. So just building on that and, you know, talking about continuing to talk about leadership, what are some of the traits that you respect more or see most in future leaders and how do they translate into big wins? I've been very fortunate, Arjun, in my career to work with a variety of leadership styles. And I hope I learned a little something from each of them. But some of the traits I think were most important, first of all, was passion caring about the, the goals of the organization. And certainly Papa John's, John had a passion for quality and he wanted the entire organization to embrace that passion and that culture of quality so that even when you hit bumps in the roads, you'd have that touchstone to kind of fall back on. So I think passion is extremely important. The other thing that I always found very valuable in a a leader was to have a curiosity. I had a chance to work with a lot of good analytical people throughout the years. And there's a story of of one gentleman that worked for me at Benihana, a guy named Ido Lucina. And I always said, Ido, you're amazing in that I'll come to you with a problem, with a situation that I want you to do some analysis on. And you'll come back to me and say, well, here's the results of what you asked for. But here's the question I think we should be asking, going that extra step. So, you know, answering that question that should have been asked, having that curiosity to not just take the easy answer or the obvious answer that comes up, but to dig a little deeper. And uh, Ito was just outstanding at doing that. And I, I really appreciated that. And I think that's a good quality for a leader to have. And then, and then the final quality, I think it's, a, it's kind of a combination of team building and communication. If you've got good communication skills and you kind of put the team ahead of any kind of personal goals and objectives, then I think the team looks to you as the leader. And I think that's, that's a very important skill to have. You know, building on team building, 
You know, there's this legendary story in Louisville, Kentucky. I still cannot say Louisville yet, but I'm getting there. I'm getting You're there. Close. There's a story that at Papa John's, you refused a promotion till your entire team was recognized first. And when I think back, I think that puts it in a one-of-one -one situation in my corporate life because I've never seen that. So what were you thinking that day? Like, were you okay that day? What, what was wrong? What was right? Like, what happened, David? It's funny that you actually probably remember that even more than, than I do because to me it just seemed like the natural thing to do. But I was so fortunate in the early days at Papa John's, and we ended up building a tremendous finance team. But in the early days, my three key finance team subordinates were three women, Cheryl Ball, Connie Houston, and Keita Fox. And they were all phenomenal at their jobs. They each had different areas within the finance organization. And it didn't appear that finance as a whole was getting some of the acknowledgements that it should have gotten in our senior team meetings and so on. So I, I guess I just kind of wanted to make a point that, hey, these people, we are an operations focused company. We, we get that operations, you know, wins of the day, but these finance people are extremely important. They are very operations focused in their own way, and they need to be recognized to demonstrate to the kind of non-operations corporate world that we have important roles to play in the organization too. And I think it worked out very, very well. Yeah, and I think, you know, it was so well-deserved because now that you mentioned the names, you know, what I realized was, of course, they were all brilliant in finance, but more than that, they were business first people. Yes. They knew the business we were in. They never wanted to be a roadblock. They always wanted to be an ally to help us, but do the right thing the right way. The right way was very important. And I really think that that was, you know, something when you start mentioning people, even I would go to beyond, like when we were looking at a cross-functional challenge with, you know, somebody like Chris Turnberg, head of PR, okay? One of the nicest human beings, and of course, an amazing family, like I just can't believe when I just went to Louisville, how they adopted me. <laughs> Brilliant mind, but always did the right thing the right way. And I really think that as you gave that example, I really am you know, so fortunate to see you and hear about that story about putting, getting, make sure that it was more about respect and long-term for the organization. An extension of that is, I just want to understand that as you have found and developed these amazing leaders, okay, what was your secret to grow these people? Like, how did you empower them to unleash them to be future rock stars? You know, some of it, I think, is just being fortunate to have the right people. But there were a couple of examples. We had a situation where a business opportunity had arisen mm -hmm. that was going to require some analysis of the financial part of it, but then more importantly, some negotiating of the terms of this opportunity going forward. Well, we had at the time a young financial analyst in the finance area of Papa John's guy named Shane Hutchins, who we said, you know, run some of these numbers, kind of let us see how this may play out. And he did such a good job with that, that as the negotiations proceeded, we said, Shane, you're the guy, you're our representative. And he ended up meeting with very senior executives from this organization that we were working to put this business arrangement together with. 
And he more than held his own with those folks. And we ended up getting a very good result. And I think that, first of all, we, we gave Shane that opportunity, but he blew us away with how he performed. And it really, it was probably great for his self-confidence too. And he now runs a major division within Papa John's, the PJ Food Service Distribution. Then Shane was mentoring an intern with us, a guy named Steve Koch. And Shane, I think, demonstrated that same leadership with Steve, giving him opportunities. I know Steve actually had to work very closely with one of our more difficult franchisees that we had a joint venture arrangement with. And again, Steve, we said, you're the guy. And Steve took the ball and ran with it. And he's now an executive over strategic planning at Papa John's. So those kind of results where you give someone an opportunity, maybe you push them a little bit out of their comfort zone, uh, but when they see themselves how well they can do it, it, it just launches them, I think, to more and more success. And that really, as a leader, gave me a great feeling of accomplishment and pride in what those guys were able to do. And, you know, when you are talking about pushing people, we all work in a world where there's no guaranteed success. There are times we see failure, literally eminent, staring at us. But how you navigate from there and come out as a team makes the biggest wins of all times. So when you look back at that incredible career of yours, what would be you know, an example or two to look at when failure seemed nearly certain, but you, an amazing team, navigated around it and came out as a huge win, with a huge win? You know, during my time at Papa John's as CFO, there was a two or three year period where I also headed up the international division on kind of an interim basis, although it stretched out for about three years. And international is tough. It was new to Papa John's. We were trying to grow the business. We had good partners in some areas of the world and less good partners, franchisees in other areas of the world. And I will remember one particular situation where a country that we thought had a tremendous amount of opportunity, we just didn't have the right franchise partner. And the finance person who was over um, kind of problem children in the international world, and he did such a great job, he ended up being over pretty much all of development, Joe Smith, and ultimately became CFO at Papa John's. But at this point, Joe was helping resolve problematic issues within the international franchise community. And we met with another franchise partner in that part of the world. And through, you know, Joe's creativity and some good communication, I think we were able to resolve the problem between the, the franchise groups. Mm -hmm. We ended up getting the proper franchisee in place. And this person has now done a phenomenal job in growing out not only the country that they were, that we had the problems in, but they've expanded further into Europe and I think are one of the leading franchise groups within the organization now. So that was a, a really good success story from something that was really a problem. And, and Joe was a tremendous asset in getting that resolved. You know, I would take you to a slightly different place, and I don't want to look at specifics about Papa John's, Benihana, any of these brands, but restaurant chains and other brands, there are times as they go climb rapidly, 
they hit a phase pause where even a little growth is not considered as a success because you know you were expecting three, four, five percent. Brands always face these. So with your experience looking back, not just as a CFO, but as the business leader you are, what's your advice to brands when they face similar situations? I'll tell you, working for a couple of public company restaurants, Papa John's and Benihana, one of our responsibilities was to provide guidance on how we thought we were going to perform. There's, you know, there's kind of two schools of thought. You can provide guidance. You cannot provide guidance. I always preferred to give guidance rather than if if you don't give it, they're going to kind of make up their own. (laughs) And then you're stuck with whatever they come up with. that may not be realistic. So as you're giving guidance, I think it would be important to be careful in how you give that guidance, be conservative And the minute that you see the world has changed, the situation has changed, where you may need to make a different strategic move that will take you away from that guidance, just tell them. I think the the biggest lesson I learned is that, you know, investors and all the kind of interested parties, they just want to know that you're being honest with them and transparent with them. And if you have... They may push back on your rationale for taking path A instead of path B. That's okay. That can be healthy. But you want to make sure that you're not giving them a surprise that you weren't able to kind of tee up in advance. That's when people start getting nervous. So I and and that's when management, in order to keep people from being nervous, they may not do what's the right thing for the company. And in the short run, it may feel better, but in the long run, you're going to pay for it. So I think you be transparent, you address issues as quickly as you you are aware of them, and you always make the decision that's got the long-term best interest of the company rather than just some short-term value. I really don't know what that long-term word means, though. I'm just missing what you do. If you just tuned in a little late, so you're listening to David Flannery, and David is famous and acclaimed for being an incredible mind in finance who always is at the highest edge of integrity. And what he just shared is priceless, is none of us know what future holds. But the moment you see something is changing, it's the guidance that proactively you give, where you're careful, you're conservative, and your investors want to know the truth, it's their money and do it quickly. Simply brilliant. Okay. So David, I want to switch from there to something more passionate to you. The three besties in your life. So how did a super CEO, CFO evolve to be the perfect partner with your wife, Vicky, and both of you are winning dog shows around the country? Like, What is the secret sauce that you're taking to make this happen? Well, uh, thank you for bringing up the Westies. We do agility with the Westies, which I don't know if people have ever seen it on TV, but they have to go over jumps and run through weed poles and things like that. So it's an active sport, if you will. And when I was working full time, you know, it was pretty demanding. The demands of the CFO, my time got stretched pretty thin so I could 
help support Vic as she was training the dogs to do agility, but I couldn't really participate fully until I retired and turned to consulting where I had a lot more time. And then I started training the dogs also. And it's just something that we can do together. We really enjoy it. It keeps us in shape too, because, you know, even when we're not doing formal training, we're taking the dogs for a walk. It's a healthy thing for us to do. And it's just good time we can spend together. And it's something we really enjoy. And we've been fortunate to have dogs that have been pretty good at agility and we've done well. And we're not super competitive in it. Uh, it's it's a, a hobby, but, it, but it's really something that we enjoy and we can do together. So what's the secret to winning, David? You know, that's... Secret? They, they say, and, and again, there are people who are on the world agility team with border collies that mm-hmm. would amaze you. Mm-hmm. We're not them. We're the weekend golfer. You, you, you like golf analogies. We're the weekend golfer who goes out as a socially good time playing golf. We're not going to win the club championship. But the secret is if you, you know, the more you train with your dog, then when you get in the more stressful situation of a formal competition, you're not stressed out. And I think that analogy kind of applies to a lot of things. If you feel like you're prepared, then you're less nervous, less stressed out when it's time to truly perform. I think that applies to us and the dogs. Now, the dogs themselves, I don't know that they get stressed out, but they can absolutely tell a difference in the environment from when we're just at class doing training to when we're at an official event where it's much more formal. I think the dogs sense that, hey, this is a little different. And so preparation, I think, is the key, though. I think what you also mentioned was not only its preparation, but seeing you not stressed makes it easy. And I really think I want to bring that back to leadership is, you know, a leader who's prepared, who's calm, who's under control is much more easier to align behind than the person who is jittery and you have no clue what's going to happen next. I, I David, would like to, to yeah, add on that. Can I, can I just yeah, add on that briefly? Because I think that's very important. And it's also, to me, that plays hand in hand with not being overly critical mm-hmm. when you try an idea and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You can really gain a lot of valuable information from something that fails. Mm-hmm. And one of the leaders, again, I got to work for, Nigel Travis, was excellent at saying, hey, we tried that. Guess what? We learned something that didn't work and that was valuable. So he really encouraged people to kind of do maybe out of the box ideas. And he said, well, we'll try it. Might work, might not. And and that to me is part of that don't stress out over things. And Mm -hmm. that way the team feels more comfortable in trying new ideas because if it doesn't work, there's no penalty box you're going to go in. We just learned something that didn't work and that's okay. We can now move on. So David, you know, reflecting back after an incredible career, if David from 2020 has to go back and give a one piece of advice to the fresh out of college, David, who is starting his career, what would the one thing you would tell him? You know, that's, that's tough, probably, that learning what doesn't work is not a waste of time. That's probably the, the story I just told about Nigel. It, I wish I had known that 35 years ago because that takes a lot of pressure off 
the idea that, oh my gosh, you know, somebody's looking at my performance. I need to make sure I do everything exactly right. I'm kind of afraid to try this idea. It might not work. And I think the earlier that I could have learned that, hey, that's okay, that I think it might have encouraged me to even be a little more creative with things. You know, I've always seen that with leaders, there's a process because success that is planned and has a process can be repeated. Rest of the success is one time random. <laughs> so from your end, you know, during your whole corporate life, what's the first thing you did every morning? And what's the last thing when you are winding up, finishing a work day? Like, what was the routine like? The, and this kind of, I think would lead into what I felt like my responsibility was as a leader, let's say of the finance team, whether it was Papa John's or Benihana, I'm kind of a night owl. So my, I'll start with my last thing at night, maybe after, you know, Vic's already gone to bed or whatever, I might've spent an, another hour just checking emails, make sure that as, you know, as the day wears on, things happen, the, your, your plans kind of get altered. And so I would like to, before I went to bed, make sure I didn't miss something that maybe came up late in the day, an email, an important meeting that got scheduled, something like that. So that was kind of my last thing of the day was to kind of go back and reflect on the day and see if there was anything I missed that I needed to be prepared for the next morning. And then the next morning, the important thing to me was to look at the, the day schedule. And again, at, at, you know, at a more executive level, you're going to be in a lot of meetings. There's a lot of task force and things to set direction and, and, and see how projects are coming along. I evaluate who from the finance team or the international team, if it was international, needed to be involved in that meeting, perhaps to hear the discussion firsthand and kind of plan the day out. But if it wasn't necessary to bring them to the meeting, I always felt my goal was to kind of be the buffer. I could kind of be the communicator. I could go to the meeting, listen to the issues, express the finance view, and bring back to the finance team, the people who are actually doing the work, here are some of the key things we need to focus on. So from that point of view, I kind of viewed myself as that buffer so they could not get bogged down in some of the bureaucracy of running an organization and truly get work done. So that's kind of how I wanted to start my day is to see where I most needed to be that kind of communicator and buffer for the rest of the team. Well, as the head of finance and international, you're worried. So you are not the buffer or the thing that's stopping these guys from being productive. So David, this is such an incredible learning. What's the best way audience members can reach you and maybe play a round of golf with you? <laughs> well, the best way is probably just my email address. It's jdavid.flannery at gmail.com. jdavid.flannery at gmail.com. Yes. Flannery with one N. Flannery with one N. Yes, please. I haven't forgotten. You know, David, this has been an incredible relearning if I may say, you know, you started talking about success is defined by the caliber of team. Okay. All of us as leaders talk about leadership. We talk about the team. But during this interview, and I was doing a tally marking, 
You talked about eight individuals, rock stars who were groomed under you. And in each case, you went on to talk about what they're doing now with pride. And to me, that tells me that's the kind of leader. If I'm starting a career and want to evolve, I want to work for you. Okay. Second is what you taught me also was the audience would appreciate this, that anytime there's a problem, first let's acknowledge, put a measure, but also remember wanting to be measured is important because the best wants to be measured. The third big aha was what you talked about, especially for public companies, how do you use guidance proactively? It's better to say things ahead than later, to be careful, to be conservative, but more important, people need to know the truth quickly because then we can all work on it. And finally, the last part that was incredibly important was that one-liner, which and I'm going to write somewhere and put it out on a wall, is learning what does not work is never a waste of time. So you heard it from David Flannery, the David Flannery. Thank you, David. Truly appreciate you being on this show. Thanks, Arjun. I really appreciate you too. Thanks a lot. Thank you all for listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. It was such a pleasure to bring the wisdom from the David Flannery. And I'm looking forward to bringing to you leaders from other walks of life, all walks of life to you soon. And for those of you who are listening to this on Facebook Live, really appreciate you spending your time with us. Thank you. Please share this podcast with friends and share your like because every like really means a lot to me. Thank you again. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.